Welcome to another episode of the Games in Schools and Libraries podcast. I'm Donald Dennis, part of the Georgetown County Library System, and my home library is, as always, still the Waccamaw Neck Branch Library in Polly's Island, South Carolina. Today, I'm thrilled to have a most excellent guest who's been with us on the Onboard Games podcast, and you may have heard them on one of our ALA episodes that we did way back when, uh, T. Kyrez. Hey, T., welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. It is wonderful, wonderful to have you here. Uh, So tell everybody a little bit about uh, your involvement in gaming real quick so that they understand why we've got you here. Yeah, no problem. So I am the games channel manager for a company called Haba. Um, Haba is a German toy and games company, and we've been importing games to the U.S., for about uh, six, six and a half years now. Um, prior to that, it was mostly just baby toys. So you might know the Haba name um, from maybe your favorite baby rattle or baby doll, maybe, who knows? Uh, so mm-hmm. yeah, but um, I love games <laughs> and I loved Haba before I even worked for Haba, so much so that people thought I worked for Haba. So eventually <laughs> Haba was like, would you like to work for us actually? So that All was right. very nice. Um, but yeah, prior to working for Haba, and still I, I'm a big part of the community, um, I really mm-hmm. love helping people find games that work for them and their families. So um, there are thousands of games that come out every year, and it's a lot. Um, and people are always like, oh, I miss this game, or oh, it's too overwhelming to find stuff. So I absolutely love to help people find the perfect game for them. Um, and so, yeah, that's me. <laughs> and, and what's particularly exciting is that a lot of the Haba games, well, besides just being fun, they're also usually pretty durable. And if you are dealing with games for younger folks, they are super durable compared to some of the other stuff that uh, we've had brought into the library. Oh, yes. Yes. Um, Haba is... The company Haba is 82 years old this year, Mm. and one of their um, founding principles from the very beginning was that they wanted to make toys that would last, and that means something very different, right, in the 40s or 50s, Um, but they have kept that mission statement and that priority uh, through the years, and so that's one of the reasons why Haba Games are just very well loved by generations. Um, we have stories all the time of people that said that say, oh yeah, my parents got that game for Christmas one year and then they gave it to us when we were kids and now I'm giving it to my kids. And it's, it's, I love it. Cause the, yeah, the games will last. They're made of high quality wood um, that's sustainably forested. And then also our paper products are with the highest quality recycled paper we can get. Um, and we use very thick cardstock and then we also will do simple things like if the game requires a board and it's for younger kids, instead of doing a folding board, which is going to get ripped, uh, we do a puzzle, a puzzle board. So we do like really big puzzle piece sections, um, and those stand up to (laughs) the game being taken out of the box and set up, you know, a billion times in a day, a lot better Mm -hmm. than folding boards do. And especially if, and as is the case with so many of your games, if it's just being used to play with, because the pieces are so 
uh, they evoke play whether or not you're actually playing the game. Yes. Yeah. And that's another one of the um, facets of Hava games that they strive for with development is actually one of the tests that Hava does is Hava has a kindergarten. <laughs> so mm. Hava is, is it, it's in a village in Germany called Badrodok. Uh, and it's basically Hava is the company like in the entire village. Uh, Hava was founded there and, and the village has kind of like shaped their identity around Hava. Um, but they, Haba has a kindergarten for employees and, you know, just people that live in the village. And so one of the ways that Haba tests the games is they'll take the prototypes to the kindergarten and just put the game in front of the kids and see what the kids do with it. And if the kids just intuitively want to start playing with it and the way they play with it sort of starts to line up with the game rules, they think they're like, sweet, we did it. <laughs> so that's exciting. Yeah. It's all by design. <laughs> I would, I would actually love to see that process. That would be, be pretty exciting. Um, hmm. But well, okay. So as, as long as we're talking about kids playing games, I know that we, we've got a topic that we're going to get to of stuff that, that relates to running stuff at libraries and, and schools potentially. But do you have any games to recommend for the Tales and Tales summer reading program that's going on this summer in libraries across the country? Oh, yeah. So we have a few games um, that they're kind of part of a series, but they're Mm. called Dragon's Breath. So um, there's two games in the series. And and the the original one is just called Dragon's Breath by itself. And it's for two to four players. And it's it's got this great 3D element where you have this tower of it's it's supposed to be a frozen column of ice with gemstones in it, but it's a sh- it's a tower of rings that have gemstones inside of them. And um, the players take turns taking the rings off. But before they take the ring off, which will make gemstones fall, uh, the other players call dibs on a specific color gemstone. And so the kids, it's really fun because you can, when you take the ring off, you can do some fun little dexterity tricks and things like that to make certain colors fall or not fall. Um, so it has some dexterity strategy in that regard, but then you can also start talking about probabilities and colors and, and that kind of thing, um, and physics and, and like the intuitive physics that, you know, everybody starts to develop when they start thinking more about the implications of gravity. Um, (laughs) so it's a really fun game. Adults really love it. Kids really love it. And it has a fun little story. Uh, about the dragons and the kid dragons and you take turns playing as the dad dragon that melts the ice um so yeah and then the second game that is from the same series oh go ahead well just i'm just looking at it and that looks pretty spectacular it's really good it won the um german children's game of the year in 2018 uh and it's i still love playing that game that that game is so much fun. I did a staff training for a store here in town and um, it was like a free play where we had the game set up and then a group would sit down and then they would learn it and play it. And there was a group that sat down and played that game for an hour straight. <laughs> and I was nice. like, I went over at one point, I was like, Are, is everything okay? Do you understand? And they're like, yeah, no, we get it. We love it. And I was just like, Oh, okay. I'll just, I'll leave you to it. <laughs> 
That's that's neat. Yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. You've, you had another game in the series to talk about. Yeah. Oh, no, it's fine. Um, the other one is called Dragon's Breath The Hatching. And so this is a smaller form game. It's a smaller box, and it's a smaller ice column. But this one, the story is that now the mama dragon has laid an egg on an ice column, and the other kid dragons want the gemstones. Um, so you have to take turns. You have to take the... You have to take the rings off of the nest um, to get the gemstones to fall without letting the egg fall. Uh, Ah. Yeah. And in this one, instead of just trying to collect the most gemstones, you're trying to select specific colored gemstones to complete amulets to score cards. So there's a little bit more strategy in like what you're doing with the gemstone retrieval part. Um, And the nice part is, is you can actually combine the two games so if you want an extreme dragon uh, <laughs> crystal experience, you can combine the two games and have the egg on the big column. There's there's multiple ways to combine it. There's some suggestions online. Um, and then you can also just make up your own rules. So yeah, Haba's really big about making up your own rules. What I'm hearing is that libraries need to buy three copies <laughs> or, or two copies of each. That way they can have uh, you know one one of each individually and one combined set. <laughs> yeah, I would uh, maybe. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, if you combine them, you can play up to five players. Um, I'm just sitting here going, counting out and separating the pieces would be awful um, because yeah. of the gemstones. So I guess yeah, I would suggest if you're gonna if you're gonna advertise to people that you can combine the two games, definitely just do that yourself as a library. Do that yourself. Yeah, and nice. then just make this. This is the combined copy. Please do not separate yeah right 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 one of the rules that we have when we're bringing games back in when we've checked in games is if there's stuff that is not going to break the game if it's missing don't bother counting it you know it's like oh if a couple of gems are missing it might throw the balance out a little bit but the average player may not notice that hey you're a purple gem short then then that's fine but if it's something that's going to break the game then you absolutely have to count it every time it comes in and yeah yeah no that's a good rule that's a really good rule so uh, what, what else you got for us? Any other story related games or animal related games at Haba? We do have, so this is kind of like more of a series, but we have a whole series of games called my very first games that are um, targeted for the audience of two and up though. I do know people that play them as young as 18 months and mm-hmm, up. Mm-hmm. Um, and the whole idea of these games is they're games that are designed specifically with toddler cognitive development in mind. And they use storytelling and free playing um, to kind of just coax the kids into learning specific skills and then also the skill of like playing games. And mm-hmm. so we have a whole we have a whole series of these. We have uh, nine of these in the in the collection. And you can pick which one you know you want to work on. So we have one that's about eating, that's about feeding. So you can work on self-feeding, talking about food. You have a little bear that you feed. Um, we have another one that's about picking up your toys. Uh, there's one about picking fruit, um, and that one's probably the most popular. It's called First Orchard. Uh, there's a raven trying to steal the fruit, and you have to pick it from the trees. Um, and all of these have... Really? Oh, and those fruits are amazing. Yeah, the, the fruit is huge. And pears. 
The fruit is like a little over two inches by an inch and a half. Um, the fruit is is massive, and it's um, it's such a popular thing that we often are told that um, the fruit when the when the kiddos outgrow the game, um, so when they're like four or something like that, they actually will just take the fruit and put it in the play kitchen. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Yeah, but, but the fruit because it's so big, it's so durable. It just lasts. Um, Lasts and lasts and lasts. Um, like but, it's designed to be exactly a handful for a toddler. Yeah. You know. Oh, it's perfect. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that one is really, really popular. But but we have other ones. Like we have one about like building a house, and you have a little dump truck that you can drive around um, to pick up all the the things that you need to build the house. So the idea is that each of the games will focus on two, three cognitive development skills. So fine mm-hmm. motor skills. Um, gross motor skills, um, talking about um, pretend, right? Because at a certain age, kids have to learn how to pretend. Um, And so you can talk about that. You can talk about the concept of winning and losing. You can talk about the concept of taking turns, um, the concept of working together versus competing. We have there are just so many great opportunities for that. And the rule books for those games, we have a paragraph. It's almost a little essay in the front of every book where we make suggestions to parents um, about what they can use the play materials to teach their kids and like how they can spend stories. And then we also have a section where we'll prompt or we give prompts to help parents get started with that conversation um, encourage the kids to do play pretend and then how they can shape it into a game t- to work on certain skills or teach their kids how to play, you know, certain types of games. Cause you have to learn how to roll a die and what it means to roll a die. And, and we have games that teach that. So, right, right, right. yeah. And early on, I guess back in 2007, when we started podcasting, there was a tendency to, for, uh, we'll say it real gamers, to sort of turn their nose up at kids' games. And until you look at, well, here's the bottom 15 games on Board Game Geek or whatever it is, and you go, what game value do these games really have? Um, it's tough to understand why these are so essential, right? I mean, yeah. not everybody is born knowing what worker placement is. Oh, yeah. For example. Yeah. yeah. And so... You have to grow your gamer. <laughs> uh, you have to you have to teach them certain skills. And, and and the cool thing is, is the way that human brains work is that you can start teaching those skills super young, often yes. younger than parents even realize. And in fact, I would say that games that you know were designed for adult games that a lot of the little mechanisms that are put into those are being put into games for younger and younger kids. It's like migrating. Uh, migrating youthward, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Especially as we see more and more nerd families, uh, <laughs> geek families existing, um, the right. market to have games uh, that have those kind of ideas younger is definitely there. I definitely have been like, oh, sweet, we need a game that teaches about resource management. <laughs> mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. Yeah, I have said those words in a meeting. Uh, yeah. Nice. <laughs> So looking at the My First Game line, you've got uh, First Orchard, which has a little crow in it, uh, Nibble Munch Crunch, which yeah. has... That um, one's about what? feeding pets. Oh, that's great. 
Yeah. Uh, so, and it's like a my first card game. So it teaches your kiddos about cards. And the cards are not paper cards. They're like thick cardstock cards, so they won't get bent or ruined. But like it's a big great tiles. Yeah, and and yeah, they're more like tiles. But the gameplay uses those more like cards, so you can start mm-hmm. teaching about the concept of like this is your card, or you know, draw from the top of the deck, that kind of thing. And then hungry as a bear. What's mm-hmm. in that one? I have to look and sorry, I got to look at the, <laughs> at all the pieces on these. This is great, great uh, podcasting for those of you listening. I'm just going to tell everybody go to the Haba site, HabaUSA.com. And look under games, and then there you can click on my first game or my very first games. And there's a whole bunch of them. There's ones that have to do with bees and bears and fish. Yeah. And uh, and cleaning your room. Ah, oh, see, I probably could have used that when I was a kid. My tid- a tidying up game would have made, probably changed my life uh, <laughs> when I yeah. was that young. So that's great. Uh, all right. So that's for the young kids. Do you have anything for uh, for older kids or teenagers? We do, that yeah. Would be appropriate. Yeah, so Haba has a line of games called um, uh, Game Night Approved games. Ooh. So these are for like ages eight and up. But the idea is eight is definitely the minimum age, but these are games that are enjoyed by all ages. Uh, mm. The one that is probably the most story, epic story, uh, a bull would be Adventureland. Yes. So, yeah, Adventureland's been around for a while. Um, I think it's on sale right now. But Adventureland is one where each player has a set of knights, and the knights are going out and exploring the kingdom. And there's three different scenarios in the in the game. There's more that you can find online. Um, so what you're trying to achieve in the game might be a little different every time you play. But you have these series of knights, and you have this kingdom board. Well, the kingdom board is a grid, Um, so, uh, and as you, on your turn, you can move a knight as far as you would like across the kingdom, but knights can only ever move south and to the east. And so Mm -hmm. you can never go back. So you have to plan and strategize around what you're trying to achieve and the order in which you need to like collect things or do things um, and use your knights to, to achieve those goals. And so there's like, Oh, okay, well, if I move this night far enough South to collect the herbs that I need to go fight this fog monster, I have to send another night to go fight the fog monster because the night that got the herbs is already too far South. Um, so there's some, a lot of interesting planning, but then there's also a lot of stories that you can talk about the adventures that you do and the nights that happen and like why you're going on these adventures. And then, um, you know, stories about the epic battle that you had over the fog monster, that sort of thing. Right. Yeah. It definitely feels like, uh, you've got to plan stuff out. It's you can't play it off the cuff so much like some other games. Yes. Yeah. And that's one people are often surprised that that's a game from us. Uh, it's designed by Michael Kiesling and Wolfgang Kramer, who are so, the German um, dream team, I feel, of game design, of Euro mm-hmm. classic game design. Uh, and so people are often surprised that Hava has a game by them. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's one of those where it surprises people when they play it how much and actually it's in tom vassal of the dice tower it's in his uh top 10 games of all time oh. yeah that's wow. neat mm-hmm. let's see uh looking for the tales and tales i see honga has a big old chonky tiger in it 
Mm-hmm. Sabretooth, the Sabretooth Tiger Clan. Yeah. Sounds right up our our alley for the theme this month. Yes, and for literal tales. Yeah. So Hanga, I love Hanga. Um, both the cat and the game. So Hanga is a game. It's the one that teaches resource management. <laughs> but um, so in this game, each you're playing to uh, prove that you're the best chieftain to run the Sabretooth Tiger tribe. And so it's a little bit worker placement slash action allocation from like a, a mechanism standpoint. But what's going to happen is, is on your turn, you only have a certain number of action points that you can use. And they're on a card and you place the card on the board and how the action points are pointing on the card when you place it on the board will determine what actions you get to take. So Mm -hmm. you can gather resources and then you can use those resources to purchase or complete contracts, which will get you points. You can also, there's like a little mini race uh, in one section and then there's some bonus cards. Um, but the big bulk of it is you're you're trying to gather resources to complete these contracts. However, in the very center of the board is the big chunky uh, Honga saber tooth tiger figure. And on your turn, if you don't allocate one of your action points to Honga, he gets mad, uh, and Honga comes and steals a fish from you. And if you don't have fish, they'll it'll steal. Um, one resource down the line. But um, so you might think that you don't want Hanga, but once you have Hanga that, and he comes and sits in front of you, he's going to, he's, you're stuck with him. He will stay with you <laughs> until someone else forgets to pet him or clean up his den. Uh, Cause even if he's not on the board, the other players still have to clean up his den and pay attention to him. So, mm-hmm. you know, offer tribute. Um, so if, if you if nobody takes him back from you, uh, you're stuck with him. And every turn at the start of your turn, no matter what, he's going to steal a resource from you. But once you already have Honga, you don't have to like allocate a resource to managing his den. So you have a little bit more flexibility in what you can do on your turn. And so it's one of those risks versus rewards the situations where when people first start playing Honga, they're very concerned about taking Honga. And so they'll make way less than ideal moves just to avoid Hanga. Like they'll spend three action points on Hanga just to get one mushroom because that was the best way to do it. And that's super inefficient, right? Instead of just being like, you know what? No, I'm going to take Hanga and I get three mushrooms and it's not a big deal. Um, and so that game kind of teaches that. And once you see that in, in kids' minds, it's, it's great. Um, they are no longer afraid of Hanga. Uh, the penalties of Hanga, they realize they can do more um, by paying that tax, if it were. So, yeah. Hmm. But I love it because Hanga, everybody, even adults, they like physically will pet Hanga. <laughs> They'll be right. like, oh, it's, we have to pet Hanga. Okay. So, yeah. And it really sounds like whoever designed this game has actually owned or been owned by a cat. Yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know. Definitely. Well, that's neat. All right. Uh, well, the only other animal-themed one that I'm seeing, and I don't know how animal-themed it is because I'm completely unfamiliar with the key series, uh-huh. is Sabotage at Lucky Lamp Llama Land. That one, uh, I mean, there's an animal... Uh, on the cover, yeah. On the cover, but it's an <laughs> animal uh, cartoon costume. Oh, okay. 
So um, the key series is a new series that we're putting out this year. Uh, It's designed by Thomas Singh, who is the designer of the crew. Um, Mm -hmm. And so these games, there's three of them in the series. The third one will come out at Gen Con. But the first one that we released in the U.S. is the key uh, sabotage at Lucky Llama Land. And so that one is, there have been a series of sabotages at the amusement park Lucky Llama Land. And the police have arrested three suspects and they have sent the forensics team out and they've gathered eyewitness statements and fingerprints and shoe prints and all this other stuff. And it's our job as uh, detectives or investigators to basically build the case. So we have to find root through all the evidence. There's a lot of evidence. We have to root through all the evidence and we have to build a case that proves without a shadow of a doubt, which suspect sabotaged which ride on which day with what tool. Uh, So it's a logic deduction game um, where you're trying to prove who did what with when, where. And um, it has this really interesting card mechanism that it uses. um, But the story is is that the way that the, the, the suspects all got into the park and, and, and sabotage the rides is apparently there was a very large security flaw, which is if you were wearing a llama costume, you could go literally anywhere in the theme park. Like you could go into like high security areas. So yeah, I'm sure Mickey runs Disney, right? He can go wherever he wants. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So um, that's why there's a llama because <laughs> it's the theme park mascot. But um they're great logic deduction games. And the really nice thing is, is that in the box, in the one copy of Lucky Llama Land, there are actually nine puzzles. Um, and each of those nine puzzles is replayable because the winner of the game, because it is competitive, you can play cooperative, but by design, it's competitive. If um, it's not who figured it out the fastest, it's who used the least amount of department resources. So every Uh, clue that you pick up and you use will have a cost on it, essentially. And you're trying to have the lowest cost. Um, So who most efficiently uh, can solve the case. So, and that's something that's unusual, I think, for um, a lot of these escape or logic games, especially if they're competitive. Um, Usually Mm -hmm. it's a race. But with this one, uh, it's not a race. It's not about who, who can figure it out the fastest. That's uh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So basically what I'm hearing is that animal games are very popular or games with an animal <laughs> theme are very popular because we could go through the Hobba site and there are easily two dozen more games with animal themes Oh yeah. that, that folks could pick out. And I'm not going to make you describe them all to us. I think it would actually be faster to have me describe the games that don't feature animals. Uh, yes. <laughs> that's I'm what like, we're talking about today. So. Yeah, no, I know. I'm just, I'm like thinking of the catalog in my head and I'm like, I think, well, that one there's no, there's fish in that one. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think mm-hmm. right now in my mind, there's, there's two games that don't feature animals. So, um, right. yeah. Anyway. <laughs> okay. So basically listeners, if you're looking for games to support this, um, looking for some durable games, uh, games with bright colors. If you're looking for games with table presence, actually, that's another thing that Haba games are generally pretty darn good at. Do that. 
So, uh, T, let's uh, let's talk about now that we've talked about some of the games that you've got. How about how to get hold of them? I understand that uh, that Haba will sell to libraries. Yes, we are. So, in 2020, the year which no one will forget, uh, mm-hmm. we I worked with Jen um, Bartlett. Yes, from ALA. Yes. Um, so I worked with Jen, um, and we figured out how to do a library program that would work for Hava and the libraries. Basically, what is like the, what, what is the thing that we could do as an organization to make it the easiest possible thing for you all to get games for libraries? And then at the same point on our side, um, what could we do or how could we do the system to make it very easy for us? Um, and so, mm-hmm. because we want to support every library, we would love it if Hava Games um, were in every library in the country uh, or in North America even, because we absolutely love um, the idea of more people playing our games, not from a not from a sales standpoint, but just from a, that's how much we believe in our product. Um, mm-hmm. And so... One of the things that we did was we came up with this program and it's you sign up on our website. Um, so if you go to HavaUSA.com and if you go to the learn more tab in the menu in the bottom middle section, there's a um, the library program link. It says Hava's library support program for the USA. There you go. So link in show notes. Yeah, so if you go there, um, there's a little bit of information, and then uh, you can sign up. And it's a simple Google form. The one complicated thing that you will need, maybe, um, you probably have this on file, is you need your tax-exempt paperwork. Um, Because what we do is you apply, and we get those forms. We put you in our system as a customer. We give you a special login using your library email. Um, and then whenever you come back to the website, um, and you log in using that login, you can shop the game section just as if you were just normally buying the games, but the system will automatically give you 35% off, um, MSRP, um, actually I think just base price. So even if the game's on sale and then we have free shipping for purchases over $30, then we also have a replacement piece program which I'll talk about in a second. Um, We also use a system called locally.com. So if you want, Mm -hmm. you can register your library um, through locally.com as a Haba. It's, it's a little weird, but you say that you have Haba games for sale, but you don't. Um, And then we can put it on our site. So if somebody is surfing our site and they see a game um, and they want to look at it locally, your library will come up and it'll say, oh, this game might be at this library. Um, The other thing is is that we do have access to different training materials. Um, So if you want to learn about how to play the games or anything like that, um, that is a resource that we also have for you. So yeah, but the replacement program, which is the thing that a lot of people are interested in, basically what it is, is um, the details on it is that once you sign up for the program, you get two free replacement shipments. So um, replacements are free from Haba. We just can't cover shipping for everything (laughs) right now, especially if shipping is crazy. So normally what we do is we charge a flat fee of $3, and then we will um, 
do replacements and then we'll ship them to you. And that $3 essentially just covers the, uh, the picking fee for our warehouse employees and then also the shipping. But if you're one of our libraries using our library program, you just email me or customer support and you say, hi, I'm a library. This is my list of what I need for replacement pieces. Um, we ask because we only will, we'll send you replacements as many times as you want, as often as you want, but we're going to cover, we'll pay for two of them essentially in a calendar year. So what we ask is you go through all of your hobby games, you inventory what might be missing for all of them. And you just send us one aggregated list twice a year um, and we'll replace your pieces on those ones. Yeah. So don't every week send in a new request for a new thing. Yeah, yeah, if you want to, you can, but you're gonna we're gonna pay you <laughs> after the second one. Right, so right, right. yeah, or we're not we're sorry, we're not gonna pay you. We're gonna charge you after the second one um, because it is a picking fee, and then replacements do they do cost money. We actually have to open up um, games. The one thing I will say that we cannot replace is boxes. Um, mm. Shipping a box is as expensive as shipping a whole new game. So. Right. If the box is damaged in shipping, yes, we will 100% replace that. But if it's just a normal wear and tear on the box, we can't replace a box. That's that's a normal wear and tear. Um, it's it, it's just one of the unfortunate truths of board gaming. So um, boxes are more expensive than anything else to ship just because of the space, the yeah, size. And I will let folks know is that uh, previously you've heard us talk about uh, making boxes with our laser cutter and that's why it's so like we've replaced our Jenga box with a laser cut box. We've replaced our Pente box with a laser cut box and so forth and so on because of this very thing. Plus uh, our patrons seem pretty impressed when they get the fancy Pente box. So, all right. But yeah, there's, um, I will say if you're really interested in box strengthening, um, mm-hmm. We, I learned this myself. Um, there's a couple of videos out there on like how to repair classic board game boxes and then how to restructure them. And one of the ones that a local librarian taught me actually was you essentially like laminate the box with packing tape. Well, okay. So um, <laughs> don't use packing tape. Okay. Uh, there's, there's some stuff called li- uh, that we call book tape uh, in the libraries. I probably it has another name elsewhere, but it is like exactly like packing tape. And so that may be what you were seeing is it's a little thicker and it is less likely to have acid or whatever in it that that is going to damage what you're doing. So get book tape and I will try and find out what exactly it is and put a link in the show notes here, but I'm sure that any active libraries already know what I'm talking about because your purchasing department has complained when you have used it as packing tape because it is so much more expensive. Uh, not that that has ever happened to me personally, but um, yeah, so it, it does, it looks like packing tape, but it is much sturdier. And I do recommend that at least if you get a split corner, you can always repair it with that. And if you've got people who are rough on your games, you can pre book tape the corners on all of your boxes and it makes them a lot more durable. Yeah, and that's what this place did. I guess, yeah, packing the <laughs> library tape like makes a lot more sense. Um, but yeah, they they pre every game that they get, they pre enforce all corners, both inside and outside, and then they also add an extra layer on just like the cover of the box um, mm-hmm. to help with the sliding in and out um, on shelves or whatnot. So 
Yeah. We as our as our collection gets older and more greatly circulated, that'll probably be something that we do as well. But at this point, uh, we aren't even putting the corners on most of our boxes unless it looks oh. like, oh, this is kind of a flimsy box. Maybe we'll we'll do that. But yeah, yeah, the, our boxes, hobo boxes, are designed to hold up um, against little hands, uh, little very excited hands. So uh, yeah, our boxes tend to last pretty well on their own. I. I have a pretty big collection that I've taken um, to shows and whatnot. And you wouldn't know that that, that game has been to, you know, four Gen Cons. <laughs> so, right, right, right. yeah. Well, so that's great. Um, happy to hear about all this. And it does look like it's pretty easy. Our uh, Also, our friends organization is a 501c3. Do you, is there a special way that they, or I guess I would still need to use the library tax documents and not theirs. Yeah, um, that's exactly it. Yeah. All right. Well, we've covered libraries, which is near and dear to my heart. So we should probably also hit schools uh, so that uh, Kathleen is excited and happy as well. So what you got for schools and how? <laughs> well, so schools is a little trickier and we're still trying to figure out exactly how to make um, our programs or whatnot for schools as simple as the library program, but essentially we will happily sell to schools. Um, I actually, we did a deal, uh, in 2020 to make virtual kits for, um, a school district for Karuba. Uh, so we actually, uh, uh, helped them. We sold them copies of Karuba, one for every teacher essentially, uh, in the mm-hmm. grade level. And then we gave the school permission to print and laminate, uh, player sheets uh, so the kids would have dry erase player sheets um, to play along virtually at home. Uh, so that's an example of something we're more than happy to do. We right now are working on a case-by-case basis uh, for schools, especially if you're doing something as large as that. Um, mm-hmm. If it's a one-off and you have an after-school program or something like that and you're interested in games for that you can feel free to contact me at tiffany at hobbyusa.com we um we don't have like i said we don't have a very specific program but what i can do is coupon code that will give you a discount so you're essentially playing uh you're essentially paying a wholesale price um or the discount um and then free shipping and whatnot if your school librarian though uh we could we can bend some rules with this one is if you coordinate through your school library we can sign you up through the library program um for tax reasons that's that's the route we have to go um is that uh if the library wants to coordinate and have a collection and maintain a collection for teachers to use or for an after-school program to use or maybe they're just the point of contact um but from a from a tax standpoint that's that's how we go that route. Um, so that's one way to get in uh, for a faster <laughs> thing. But yeah, if you have an interesting program or something that you'd love to do, let us know. We also really encourage uh, you work with locals. So if you have a local store that you've worked with in the past and they want to support you and continue supporting your school or school district, um, they can order direct from us. And that's actually how we did the Karuba program is we coordinated a store contacted us and we worked with the store, but it was for the school. So, Mm. yeah. Neat. Well, that's exciting. 
uh, hopefully you get yeah. all that hammered out before this fall when school goes back into session. So, yeah, the biggest thing is we just need to know kind of what there's so many things. There's so many different things that schools want to do with our games. Right. And so yes. it's tough to come up with one single solution that works for everybody. Cause it's like, are we talking about five games? Or are we talking about 500 games? Because how we do each of those, uh, how we handle each of those situations is different. So, yeah, I mean, and I'm sure library systems tend tend to have a right, fairly regular structure. So, um, yeah. Wonderful tea. Uh, thank you very much for joining us for this. It's exciting to see what Haba's got going on pretty much all the time. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for having me. Um, yeah, we are trying really hard. We getting games into libraries and schools and, and having those resources available is something that I personally am super passionate about. So, um, figuring out systems and ways to make it easy for you all to interact with us as a company is one of the things that I really want to help. I want to figure out. So yeah, right. thank you for having me. And I hope, I hope people um, are excited and interested. And if, if anyone has questions or comments or, or maybe suggestions, um, yeah, feel free to reach out to me at Tiffany at hobbyusa.com. That's my direct email. So yeah. T, thank you for joining us and, uh, and have a great weekend. Thanks for having me. Bye. Bye. Thank you for taking this journey through Haba's catalog and, <laughs> and policies. You can find out more about uh, us and the folks who create the show over at InverseGenius.com, uh, where you can also find our other shows like Onboard Games and the Inverse Genius Podcast and some of our streamers who've got stuff going on there. And of course, you can head over to Haba USA to find out more about what we've been talking about. This podcast is produced in association with the Georgetown County Library System, uh, though they are not responsible for anything that we have said. 